Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. So our holy confession is Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. Very familiar verses. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is on your neighbor's. For the ninth commandment concerns our neighbor's good name, it really is as well as ours. Um, it forbids us to speak falsely or lying in any manner regarding a neighbor, devising or designing some plan in a matter to uh, regarding our neighbor, uh, speaking unjustly of our neighbor, maybe uh, in order to hurt his reputation because, frankly, we're a little jealous of his popularity, bearing false witness against them, one in like a legal sense in front of the civil magistrate, but even in the common conversations. Slandering, backbiting, tailbearing, making something of your neighbor that he did wrong appear to be worse than it really is. But it forbids us attempt, attempting to ruin or diminish the reputation of our neighbor in any way that you think might help improve or correct our own reputation. This humility is not easy. As in the 6th, the 7th, and 8th commandments, God forbids us to injure our neighbor in action, murder, adultery, stealing. In the ninth commandment here, we're forbidden to injure our neighbor by word, false witness. In the 10th commandment, it's in thought. Uh, no human eye can see a covenant heart. It's witnessed only by him that possesses a covenant heart, and by him through whom all things are naked and open, according to Luke 12. It's probably the root of all sins of word and action against our neighbors, as James 1 says, thou shalt not covet. God's law is concerned not only with our actions and our words, but even our thoughts of our heart. The divine law asserts control over our thoughts and feelings. True godliness consists of bringing every thought into captivity in Christ. So in light of this, that our thoughts need to be held captive in Christ, we now come to confess our coming thoughts as well as our damaging actions and words. traveling with Paul through Macedonia and Greece, and we think we can learn a lot by watching him. How he did things, how others were blessed and encouraged by him, and how God used him mightily here. Today we look at three different vignettes, three different scenes in this chapter, spending most of our time on the third of these three. But before we open God's word, let's bow our heads in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's example in ministry and the record of Paul's love for you and his love for the people. We pray that you bless us as we journey with Paul, especially as he shares his heart 
at the end of the chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. C1 is Paul in Macedonia and Greece. These are the first uh, six verses of Acts chapter 20. God's Word. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Korean son of Paris, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Titus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were there waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, if you're in your home, in your study, doing your quiet time, and you're reading Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, there might not be a lot that would jump out at you immediately from the text. But there are a few nuggets that I've found in looking at the text more carefully that I think would be beneficial. First of all, we learned that it is these three months in Greece that's referred to at the, at the beginning of the passage was where he was staying with Gaius in Corinth. Okay, so we have to connect a few dots from other parts of Scripture here. And we learned that he stayed with Gaius in Corinth in Romans chapter 16. In fact, it's where Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. So during the time period that's described in Acts 20, the book of Romans was written. Wow, that's important. That's good to know. That's interesting. Then we look at what happens after that. And we see that Paul changed course. He was diverted from one, way, one place to another. Why exactly did he do that? Well, based on where he was going to go and the way he changed course, and what else was going on in the first century, I agree with a lot of those who study this passage in this context with the following kind of supposition, that Paul was in the armored car service. Paul was the one who was responsible for bringing funds, relief funds, to Jerusalem from the other churches. He had a bag full of money. What happens when you walk around with a bag full of money? You are a target. So, you see a number of people, you see a long list of people from all different places who have joined Paul. And in fact, even an advanced team, you think about how the Secret Service operates when guarding our president. The president just doesn't walk into a place with his entourage days or weeks before the Secret Service is involved in plowing the way and making sure that everything is ready and properly secure for him. Paul's advance team did exactly that for him. So I think that's a reasonable understanding of this passage. Kind of interesting. Paul here was delivering uh, these, these relief funds 
to Jerusalem. And all along the way, what was Paul doing? Was Paul only focused on the one thing that he had in mind? No. He left behind a legacy of encouraging the brethren every step of the way. So Paul always had a few things in mind, and that was one of them. We're on the seat two already. Things are moving quickly at the beginning, and as I warned you, we'll, we'll spend more time on the third. The second scene we find ourselves in, in Acts 20 is in verses 7 through 16. God's Word. On the first day of the week, remember that, we'll come back to it, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long time until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And after sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Teos. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the same day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of the so a few interesting points from this segment here, from this scene, where Paul and Eutychus and preaching. First, we note that it's very clear Luke says that it was on the first day of the week that they gathered to break bread and Paul to teach and preach to them. Here we see an indication that what had been celebrated for thousands of years as the, as the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week for the Christian church had made its shift. Here we are 20 some years after the ascension and we see the Christian church meeting on the first day of the week. This is something that Paul, a Jew, was encouraging, reinforcing, fully a part of. And then sadly, we hear the story of Eutychus falling asleep, falling asleep and then falling and dying. My reading of this passage is that a miracle took place that day, that Paul brought Eutychus back to life. The dual recognition of who Paul is, he is the Apostle Paul, they were there to hear him anyway, and the miracle that he just performed, the crowd stayed and listened to him all night long. I don't know about any of you, if you have the same trouble I have about staying up all night long, but it's something that would be really interesting. I have trouble staying awake all night long. That's not the way my system works. And yet, people were so captivated, were so interested in hearing from Paul, 
that they stayed up all night to listen to him, in part having been witness to this miracle. And then they go on to explain the rest of the itinerary, which, which I won't go into any more detail on. So, scene two, close. Now, in our third and final scene for today, in Acts 20, we see the Apostle Paul call the very first pastor's conference. Who knew? We thought that maybe this denomination or that denomination had invented the, the notion of a pastor's conference, but Paul invented it right here. He asked all of the pastors in the Ephesus area to travel 30 miles. How long would it take us to walk or to ride a donkey 30 miles? That's a, that's a trip. Trip. That's a trek. Maybe a day. To give him the opportunity to say goodbye to them. This, I believe, will find be a very important and touching moment in Paul's ministry. Here he's just spent years, three years, ministering side by side with these pastors. And in just 400 words, he gives his farewell address to them, to these men. One more really interesting note I found it interesting about this passage is that this is the one and only message, sermon, that Paul preached to believers. Every other message that we hear recorded, and we're going to hear a few later in the month, were, were recorded and delivered to the Jews, to the Greeks, to authorities. Here, Paul is sharing with fellow presbyters, with fellow pastors, his heart. So listen for, the, for a few big ideas here, if you will, as we go through this. Pay close attention to the depth of Paul's emotion and engagement with these men. This is very personal. Acts 20, 17 through 35. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how long I lived among you, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But... I do not account my life as any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away from to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remember that for three years I did not cease, day, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help believe and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The word of God. So Paul here bears his soul. He holds nothing back. He says what he's been thinking the whole time. And yet he delivers this in a very compact way. In verses 18 and 19, he opens his address with what everyone knows. He recounts his reputation of the past three years, how he lived. He served with humility, with tears. He was fully present, fully committed. As a servant leader, he was extraordinary, all in the face of persecution and trials from the Jews. And as we move through, through his message here, he describes his method. How did he go about ministry? He did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Paul's mission was to bring the message of the kingdom that brought benefit, that was profitable to the people. He wasn't there to just tickle ears, to make people feel good, or to commend them, or to say things that would make the people like and follow him. I can think of a few people in my life that seems to be their organizing principle. They only tell things to ingratiate themselves to me, whether they're true or not, whether they're important or not. Paul did the exact opposite. Paul preached to them and held back nothing that was profitable. His ministry was organized and focused on the profit of the people through the work of the Spirit and the Word with prayer. And then he gives us an amazing capsule of the Gospel. He describes in verse 21 that he testified to both Jews and Greeks. So here his ministry is not focused only on Jews or Greeks, but both. Of repentance toward God, how do you change your mind, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That results from the regeneration that we talked about last week. The utter dependency and reliance on the completed work of Christ in our lives, not in our own actions. 
And he moves from the gospel message, the plan of salvation message, to his plan. What am I going to be doing? And in verses 22 to 24, he describes that. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I've just spent three years with you here in Ephesus, working alongside you, taking a few short trips. But I've worked very hard with you. Now I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the reason for this farewell address. He is leaving. He's not coming back. He won't see his face again. And though he's uncertain about the details, he is certain about the outcome. And that's because he receives special revelation from the Holy Spirit. That is not something that we can expect today. That is, despite what other churches in our area will say, that is not something we can expect and here Paul is absolutely committed to finishing the mission given to him by the Lord Jesus. His priority was very different than much of our 21st century priority today. What do we value? What do we strive for? Comfort and convenience and self-preservation. Those words on radar for Paul. Paul was about completing the mission that was before him. And he reiterates, none of you will see my face again in verse 25, which was almost a prophetic reminder. It's a prophetic message, not hyperbole. He was saying something that was actually true. And it's very similar to what we read in our scripture passage this morning from Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, 21 reads, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders of Jesus and be killed and on the third day be raised. There is a parallel in terms of Paul's announcement of his of what awaits him in Jerusalem, and yet he's forging ahead. And then Paul makes another gospel summary in, in verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He preached the whole counsel of God, echoing what he said earlier in the passage. He held back nothing that was profitable. And he did at least two things here. One, with just a few memorable words, he left the Ephesian pastors with a vision for faithful ministry. What does faithful ministry look like? It involves preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God, all 66 books. Let's not go past that. Let's not pull any back. Let's not discard the Old Testament. Let's not choose our favorite book and camp out there or change favorite topics. Let's teach and reprove the whole counsel of God. And that's something that they can remember. It's something that we hear people talk about today. It has lasting value because it's a handle that we can put on the Word of God. What is your mission as a pastor, as a teacher? To teach the whole counsel of God. 
And then secondly, he correct, he, he almost prevented a whole raft of bad patterns that would have certainly crept in if he hadn't said that. And I think he, in so doing, he encouraged us to be thinking about the scriptures in an expository way. I think expository preaching is the very best way to make sure that we're covering all those bases. It's very systematic. Then in verse 28, he spells out that every individual in Christ has been purchased with the blood of Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It is the foreign righteousness of Christ that makes us a part of the flock, that makes us one of his own. Each of us will have different needs. Some of us might smell better than others. Some of us might be more receptive to teaching and help than others. But not a single one has earned a right to have proper standing with God. Every brother and sister in Christ has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, regardless of their sin history. And their death has been paid in full by them. That is the gospel. Now comes the warning. You might have wondered, why is Ezekiel 33 and the, and the description of the watchman and his responsibility, where does that bear on, on Acts 20? Well, as much as we experience real threats from outside the church, Paul was warning the Ephesian elders, and I think by extension, all of us in the church today, that we need to be vigilant inside the church as well. Paul describes those who would bring a false message, who would try to drive, draw others after themselves, ingratiate themselves to others, as fierce wolves. I think he names as ravenous wolves. And they use twisted things to draw men to themselves. This is a call for discernment. This is a call for being the watchman. If you know someone who has the gift of discernment, that's, that is a spiritual gift, get to know them. Listen to them. Pay attention to what they say. They may say, see things and hear things before you do. So let's help one another there. And then lastly, Paul reminds them again, this is about his hard work. He doesn't wear this on his sleeve and as a badge to the rest of the world. But to the Ephesian elders, he's saying, I work day and night in the church, in people's homes, teaching the whole counsel of God. He reminds them of his stamina, his passion. He wasn't just a robot working these things through. He was consistent, and he was admonishing people for three years. I know I would do well to reflect on the amazing example of Paul's ministry here. Um, there is a proper place for, for hard work and for examining ourselves. So as we bring this, this text to a close, I want to leave you with a few thoughts. One, I would encourage us, myself included, to be consistent, to keep moving. If we fall, let's get up and keep going. In addition to just working hard, Paul was very consistent and principled in his ministry. So this week, one of these things might apply to you. 
Continue the good habits that you have for prayer, Bible study, doing your weekly work for the glory of God. Or, become more consistent in those. If you haven't been consistent in the past week or month, re-engage, click in, get going again. And here, I reflect back on Paul's admonition in, in Ephesians 4.1, the reason it was a scripture reading this morning. Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That means drive where you are. Keep doing what you can do. Be consistent. Two, love the people in your circle. It's very clear to me through this passage that these aren't just blasé, black and white words on the page. Paul's heart and soul and emotion was invested and engaged with these people. By living the truth and telling them the truth, Paul's love for the Ephesian elders and their love for him jumps out of the page in every chapter. So, all of you, here, love the people in your circle, encourage them, hug them, love one another, serve one another, share life with one another. Two down, two to go. Do not live in fear. Fear of death and, and the focus of self-preservation and comfort didn't stop Paul from going to Jerusalem. He's like the fireman or the soldier or the sheepdog who runs toward where he's needed instead of shrinking back. In fact, meeting with the Ephesian elders was one step in putting his affairs in order. But back to us. Fear is one of the biggest tools of the evil one to limit our kingdom work. My whatever won't be good enough, so I'm not going to do it. My friend won't like me if I... Don't be held back by that kind of thing. Don't be afraid to love others the best you know how. Whatever that looks like, humbly. Don't be hobbled with fear. And then lastly, situational awareness. The watchman. The Ezekiel 33 watchman. Let's be on the lookout for, wolves, for fierce wolves. Let's each be that Ezekiel 33 watchman. And if you encounter one, just as Paul warned the Ephesian elders, the potential for wolves and the need for watchmen is true today. If you encounter one, say something. I've seen... Many of you do that in various places and times in this congregation. I'm thankful for that each time I hear. Keep up the good work and do more of it. Let's keep our eyes open to what's going on around us. And while none of us are, are the Apostle Paul or will ever be the Apostle Paul, I think each of us can be thankful for his ministry and thankful for his example to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul's heartfelt, farewell message and the example of how his love of God translated to hard work in his day-to-day -day life. Bless us as we serve you with the strength and gifts that you provide to us by your Holy Spirit.
morning, reading from John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we gather to fellowship of our Lord this morning, we eat this meal and remember and are reminded that our Savior Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the great I am. He has gone before us and we walk in his light. We are called to follow him as his disciples, not in paths of darkness, not groping along the corruption of our sin, but to walk in his light, to see the path that God has lit up before us. We experience a reality soon of us every time we drive at night as our headlights guide us on and show us the way forward. The beauty of our heavenly light is it doesn't just illuminate a few yards ahead of us like our cars do, but the light of God's revelation casts its glow over all of our lives, shining out and dispelling the darkness. Let us eat this meal then thankful that our Lord is leading us in paths of righteousness, rejoicing that he has given us the light of life in himself. At Christ Church of Livingston County, we warmly invite the Lord to suffer all those who are baptized, disciples of Jesus Christ, under the authority of Christ in his body of the church. By eating bread and drinking the wine with us, you acknowledge that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You also acknowledge to this congregation that you are in covenant with God and are active in a congregation which is covenantly bound trying God through word and sacrament. We believe that the Lord's Supper is integral to the act of confession, repentance, renewal, and abiding in Christ. Moreover, it is our conviction that the bread and the wine should be received by all baptized covenant members who are able to physically eat and drink the elements, including our young children being raised in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. The gifts of God for the people of God. The body of Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.